started last week with this idea of in Christ. We, we laid some foundation work to what it means to be in Christ. And this phrase is often, it's, it's really the phrase that's most often used in the New Testament to describe our relationship with Jesus. You know, we talk about a lot about Jesus coming into our heart, and we've got songs about that, and we talked, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And that's not, that's a right way to say it, but the way the scripture says it the most of all is, are you in Christ, or have you come into Christ? Are you in Christ? Now, remember we had the visual last week where we talked about, like, you would come from that room into this room. The idea of coming into Christ is that you come in from your old life, and now you come into your new life. Or you come out of a life full of sin and self and you step into Christ. Remember? And, and, and it's just a way to look at it. But we talked about you, you kind of step into Christ. Like, you know, we step into him. Okay? New Testament just kind of brings that to bear over and over, especially in Paul's writings. Okay? Now, so the idea is you come into relationship or this union with Christ you come into Christ, born again, this new life. You come into forgiveness. You come into this idea of starting brand new. You start afresh in Christ. The two, you and Christ, now become one when you come into him. That, that two become one, that's kind of marriage language. In fact, Paul talks about that in Ephesians. He said, now I'm talking to you about marriage and husbands and wife, but now I speak to you concerning Christ and his church because our relationship with him is a lot like a marriage. Now, a good, healthy marriage, but it's a lot like a marriage. So we come into Christ, and then we also, at the same time, come into his kingdom by way of the king, who is Jesus, who is also the door to this kingdom. I put a whole lot of stuff in that sentence. You got that? So we come into Christ, and at the same time, we enter into the kingdom of God. And now in this kingdom, we begin to see all the blessings and provision and will and plans and purposes of God as he begins to unfold himself. This kingdom is full of all wealth and riches that untold. And this kingdom is not just going to quit. This kingdom is eternal. It lasts forever. Those who come into Christ get eternal life to enter into the eternal kingdom. Amen. And what we do when we come into Christ, we make that great exchange. Go to that next slide right there. We make the great exchange. Remember, remember the, the, the stuff I put on there that we exchange our sin for his righteousness. We exchange our shame for his glory. We, we trade our life for his life. Our guilt is traded off for his forgiveness and, and his freedom. Our poverty which is, which is great, which is even some call it depravity. It's, it, that's like worse than impoverished. That's not just impoverished of money. That's like impoverished of soul. Our poverty for his riches, we get to make this great exchange. Our death for his life, our chaos for his peace. And, and we could go on and on and on with this exchange that happens with these me for him. It's a great trade. I, I recommend you do it. Now, now let's, let's get a little bit deeper into this idea of united with Christ. This idea of coming into Christ is when we are united with Him. Everybody say that with me. United with Him. Now, I'm going to read several passages, some out of Romans 5 and some out of Romans chapter 6. I'm just going to kind of select a few because and go back and read it as a whole. But sometimes when, when I'm teaching it, it's sometimes it's better to, to look at some of the high points and then get, get the idea, because sometimes Paul's hard to understand. You understand that? 
He's very hard to understand. And the book of Romans is loaded, loaded up. Now, I'm going to read 5, 6. Uh, and just so you know, I'm going to read some of 5 and 6. six. But also 7 and 8 are really good. 6, 7, and 8 are awesome chapters. If I had to be on a desert island and I could only have four chapters, it would be Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Just to tell you that. If I could only take that with me, that's what I would take with me. It is that rich and that good and that deep. It's amazing. All right, so let's, let's read this together. We may comment as we go along, just to make sure we're, we're clear. Okay, Romans 5, 6 through 10, right here, and we'll read, the verse or read verse 19 as well. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So did you see the, the comparison? So some people will die for a, a, a righteous man. Some people will even give their life for a good man. But God's love is so strong that he gives his life for bad people. Did you see that? Did you pick up on that? Cause them sinners right here. That God's love is so strong. Man, man's love, they may die. I'd give my life for my wife in a minute or my kids in a minute. That, that's, that's understandable for all of us parents, you know. But would you just give your life for somebody that just came out of the gutter? That, that'd be a little bit more of a challenge, wouldn't it? But God's love is so strong that it reaches to the lowest of lows. Amen? Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So through Christ's sacrifice... We're justified. We're, maybe one way to see that is just as if I'd never sinned. We, we are justified or we are made righteous in God's eyes through the cross, through, through Christ's blood. Remember, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. It will be shed for the forgiveness or the remission of your sins, remember? So that's where we're justified, through His blood. That's why we sing songs about the blood and, oh, the blood of Jesus. We sing songs about that blood, but it's talking about that's the avenue where we were literally brought into this thing, right? And even more than being justified, see, justification is just the beginning points. The forgiveness part is just the beginning points. We shall be saved from wrath through Him, and this idea of salvation through the Scripture is not just the forgiveness of sins, but it's the, the wholeness of life, that, that through Christ, He wants to give us a whole life. He wants to make us a whole person again. Sin has done its due, and it's, and it's done its duty, and it's, it's broken us down, and it's fractured our lives, and, and wounded us, and wounded our relationships. And salvation comes, not just to forgive us of our sins, but salvation comes literally to restore us as whole people unto God. God doesn't just want to save you. God wants you to live the life that He called you to live, the reason He created you. And notice it says that we're going to be saved from wrath through Him. Remember we talked Wednesday night, for those of you who were able to be with us, we talked in Romans 1 and, and chapter 2, we saw some of that wrath that's being poured out, even, even today it's being poured out. We saw how it's being poured out through Romans 1 and 2. We're saved from that. Amen? We are saved from God's wrath. That's good. I, I like that. If you ever read the Bible, you'll say it's good. I can tell you that. If you live and open up your eyes, you'd say it's good. Verse number 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Again, the two become one. Now we're reconciled with God through the death of His Son. 
much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And what we're wanting to do, and what I want to do as a teacher and a pastor, is to lead you, both by example and teaching, into that much more. Into showing what that reconciliation is about. Jesus saved us, now what? Now what do we do with our lives? What, what do we do with, with we, we, we got Sunday, right? What do we do with Monday? What do we do with Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? What do we do? God's got a whole life now that he wants us to live out. Amen? Verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who was that one man? That one man was Adam. And if you go back a little bit into chapter 5, he'll talk about that in Adam. And Adam is referred to several times through there. And, and Christ is referred to as the last Adam. There's no more need for Adam anymore. The, the creation is set. New creation is set too. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now we know how the other works. We were born into sin. We're born into a sinful culture, a sinful nation, sinful people, sinful family. Uh, you know, it was all set up. We were born into a sin. We were born as sinners. It, there's something that happened in the cosmos in Genesis chapter 3 when, when the bottom basically fell out of everything, when Adam disobeyed God, Adam and Eve both. We know how that part works. We know how it all fell apart. That's Genesis 3. And not, not just Genesis 3, but every time since then, even in our own lives. What we need to learn is how through Jesus' obedience, now many are made righteous. Let's, skip, let's fast forward a little bit. Romans 6, 4. Let's go 4 through 11. And again, the stuff we're skipping is well worthy of your thoughts. We just don't have time. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you get the idea. There's, there's a death, there's a raising, and then there's a walking. Right? There's a death. We, we, we've got this baptismal back here, which I wish we were wearing the bottom out of the thing, to be honest with you. We've got this baptismal back here. You know what that really is? It's a grave. It's a spiritual grave. It's a grave site. And we take people, and this is what this is playing out. It's showing us what literally happens in the spirit realm. They're buried in the water. They're raised up again. And then they're supposed to walk out of there. Wet as ever. Changed as ever. You know what I'm saying? And that's the picture of what happens in us. There's no magic in the water. You know what I'm talking about? There's nothing there. But it's a picture of what happens when we come into Christ that our old person dies a new person raises up, and we walk in a whole new fashion. We walk in a whole new way. Okay? Now, that walk gets a little tricky sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes we stumble on that walk. Sometimes we're not sure about the path. Sometimes we choose the wrong path. Sometimes we, we backtrack and go the wrong way on this path. But we, we're learning to walk. I got, got a series I did years and years ago. It, we got the idea of born again. I, I taught a series of several weeks called Learning to Walk Again. And that's what we got to do because now we're in a whole new world. The whole new world. You know what I'm saying? I can't help that. Gosh, Lord, that's going to be there for a week. <laughs> We're in a whole new world because we, we've now, remember, we've entered into Christ and we've also entered into a whole new world, the kingdom. So we've got to learn our way around. You ever been to a foreign country? They call it foreign for a reason because you can't read the signs. 
You can't talk to the people. You, you, you might can order chicken and you can ask for the restroom. That's about all you can do and when you go into a foreign country, isn't it, Paul? That's what, what, when, when it's really foreign. I mean, there's a lot of English-influenced countries where you can navigate and all that kind of thing. But, but I've been up in the, the hills of Honduras where, uh, I mean, some folks hadn't even seen a guy of my color. So it's, it's like very foreign. Well, sometimes it's like that in the kingdom. It's like you're in a whole new place. People are acting different. They're hugging me when I come in. They're talking to me like they care. What, what do they want from me? You know, I mean, it's, it's just a whole different way, a whole different vibe. All right? Verse number five. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, this idea is where we get our title, united with Christ. We have been united with Christ in his death, but we're also united with Christ in his resurrection. Okay? Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. I hear another song right there. I'm no longer slave to sin. Remember that one? Oh, it comes right out of here now. We, we, we like to sing our theology. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. That's very interesting. Verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. That's death and resurrection thing that didn't just happen to Jesus, but it happens to all his followers. And I'm not talking about the death and resurrection after the grave. I'm talking about the death and resurrection of your old man into your new life. I'm talking about verse 9. Knowing that Christ, he keeps saying knowing. He wants us to know these things. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. This is one and done. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And so do we. Verse 11, the last. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'd like you to take that verse and commit it to memory this week. Likewise, you also reckon. That's a good old Southern word, I reckon. I reckon that's right, huh? You ever said that before? Well, he's saying that you reckon, you, you've, you've settled the accounts and you've processed this in your mind and you've come to the conclusion. That's what reckon means. We didn't know that in the South. That's what reckon means, we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Say that with me. Dead to sin, alive to God. We'll, we'll explain some of that as we go. Lord, help us. Help us. There's, there's a lot of twisting and turning in our minds, and this is a whole new place for us. We thank you for your revelation, Holy Spirit. Teach us. Teach us what this means because our, our victory and our, our walk is... is hanging in the balance of how well we understand these things. Help us, Lord. We've all transgressed this. We've all kind of laid back. Lead us, Holy Spirit, into this newness of life that Jesus has purchased for us. Help us to learn
to be united with Christ in everything. Amen. So two categories of people. If we were to go back again and study from Romans 4 and 5 and study it, you would, you would find this out. There are two categories of people according to this illustration. There are people that are in Adam, that are united with Adam, and there are people that are in Christ, united with Christ. Now, thank God Adam found redemption through, through the sacrifices that God did in the garden there with him. But the idea is, is that if you're in Adam, you're in sin. You're in rebellion against God. If you're in Christ, you're in this idea of death to sin and life to God. You're either united with Adam or you're united with Christ. Now, this idea of united is the idea of grafted. Anybody ever do any gardening and where they would, would graft a, a, a branch, maybe of, a, of another tree or something like that? You would graft it into a plant or a tree. Ever done that kind of thing? Well, it takes time. And in fact, there's actually later in Romans, he talks about us as Gentiles. We're like a wild branch that's been grafted into this vine. It's just, they cut it off of some other branch somewhere else. And we've been brought to this vineyard of God's kingdom and we've been grafted into this, this vine, okay, which is Jesus. It's this idea that, that we're grafted with Christ. So you're either connected to Adam or you're connected to Christ. Now that'll make a little bit more sense as we talk this out. In Adam... In Adam, that's just kind of the natural state of all mankind. Mankind, womankind, whatever kind you want to call it. Natural state is in Adam, which simply means, what, what did Adam do with God? Well, first of all, he started off pretty good, didn't he? Walking with God in the cool of the day, naming the animals, taking care of the garden, doing the things he did. He and his wife, we're not sure how long they stayed in the garden. I, I suspect it was a pretty good bit of time, I, I would think. You know, we're not sure how many children they had before the fall. We don't know any of that information. We speculate, but we don't know anything about that other than they walked with God. They seemed to be obedient to God. They did what God called them to do. Then in Genesis 3, what happens? Who shows up? Satan shows up. Disguised as a snake kind of thing. The craftiest of all and, and what we learn from that story is that in every garden, there's a snake. There's always, in every good place, there's always a snake that's trying to ruin the day. And, and they're, they're beguiled or they're tempted away. They're drawn away from God and they are told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that they eat of it, they shall surely what? They die. Well, through a whole coercion of a thought, I don't, even, I don't even know if it was just one conversation. Maybe it was several things that went on. I know he works on me for a while sometimes before he springs the trap, you know. They choose to rebel against what God said and to go with what the enemy said, what the serpent said. And in those moments, they entered into rebellion or mutiny against God. And basically the way God took it is that you want to be your own God. You're not, you're not going to listen to me anymore. So in Adam, that's kind of what happens with people. They simply want to just captain their own ship, make their own rules, make their own choices. Anybody know anybody like that? Mm -hmm. And in Adam, the, the consequences of being in Adam are horrific. The day that you do this, Adam, you will surely die. Now, Adam didn't have any idea what the fallout would be, I don't think. I don't think he had any idea that it would be cataclysmic all the way across all creation. Adam and all those born thereafter him are now what the scripture calls 
slaves to this slave owner, to this taskmaster named sin. That in Adam, all people become slaves to sin. Now, if you're a slave to something, what does that mean? It means you obey it, right? You know why sinners sin? Sinners sin because they're sinners. I mean, they're slaves. They're slaves to that sin, whatever that might be. And if you've ever met anybody or known anybody who's, who's addicted to anything, you, can, you, you know how that slavery works in that area, right? Okay? And here's the thing we understand about sin, that all sin, no matter the small stuff that we consider the small stuff and the big stuff, all sin has built in it an addictive property. All sin's addictive to the human race. In other words, once you start lying, guess what you're going to keep doing? You start stealing, what you're going to keep doing? You start doing whatever, you become a slave, all right? And we're also slaves to sin, but we're also chained to death. That, that this, we've got these masters of sin and death hanging over us in Adam. And, and because of the consequence, the fallout is this, that we're under the wrath of God. That we're under condemnation. We're under judgment. We're under a death sentence, basically, is what that's saying. In Adam. Now, Adam brought the terroristic reign of sin and death. He brought it on us all. Now, we've been willing participants ever since, but Adam, it started with him. That's why it says in Adam. He's kind of the federal head of all creation right then. And what happened to the, whole, the, the soul of man, that sin seized control, if we can say it like that, it seized uh, dominion over the human soul. And your master is sin in Adam. And his bidding you will do. Whatever that, that sin might be. A lust, inordinate affection. A bad appetite, attraction to sin, idolatry, whatever it might be. Adam enslaved us all to sin. But is, is there hope? And that, this is what this elaborate writing of, in Romans, and it's very, very, it's very, very dense, and it's very, very, it's genius, actually. It's talking about this whole progression of people being in Adam in sin, and all of the down spiral of society and human life and how it just absolutely falls apart because sin is an evil taskmaster. And then in, beginning in Romans 3, he begins to make a turn. In Romans 4, he starts talking about Abraham and what faith is like. And then in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, he begins to talk about the only hope that not just you and I, but all of creation has. Is there hope for us to get out of this cycle? Is there hope for me to come out in any kind of success in life, is there any hope for me to break free from this thing that I know is destroying my life? And the answer in Romans is, yes, there's hope. There is hope for us to be set free from this evil taskmaster who is bent on this idea of steal, kill, and destroy. The problem is, we're not strong enough in our own will, in our own wisdom, in our own physical strength, we're not strong enough to break the chains by ourselves. And what I find out is that most people struggle for years and years in their own strength trying to break their own chains until they hit, what, what, what do they call in, in, in addictive therapy? Rock bottom. Is there hope? In Adam, the contrast is to be in Christ. And the Bible really just separates it in two right there. There's a lot, of, a lot of twos in the Bible. Light and dark, good and bad, righteous, unrighteous. 
not a whole lot of gray ground in the Bible. There's gray, th there's gray things in people's minds, but not a whole lot in the Bible. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Our only hope is to come into this relationship or what we're calling this union with Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that we have is to be united with Christ because he's the only one who can break those chains from that evil slave master. He can emancipate us from the sin that enslaves us. He can emancipate us from its deadly consequences and this slave master called death who is keeping us fearful all of our days. How did Jesus do this? We begin to read some of this, and you may know some of the story in the Gospels. How did Jesus break the bonds? How did Jesus defeat sin and death? Just three simple little things right here that are absolutely profound. Because know this, that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. It changed how God relates to man, and it changed how man relates to God. It all has to pass through the cross and resurrection. It changed everything. The first thing that Jesus did to defeat sin and death, Jesus resisted the temptation to sin at every turn. He defeated sin by not sinning. All the temptations that you and I have fallen prey to, some since Christ, some since Christ came into our lives, some this is talking about beforehand. But all those things, the scripture says that Jesus was tempted in all points, in every way, just like we're tempted. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all those kind of things. In fact, we see him taking the tempter in the desert. We see him taking the tempter head on, don't we? Jesus resisted temptation at every turn. And he lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. Now that's kind of mind-boggling because we never met. We met some people that do pretty good but we never met anybody that's that good. Jesus was perfectly obedient to God and his commands. He lived a sinless life. The second thing Jesus did was something supernatural happened on our behalf when Jesus went to the cross. Something supernatural. In fact, that's why the cross has become the, the absolute symbol of worldwide Christianity. It's the cross because something happened at the cross that you and I must know about to where Jesus literally, something, something's happened. It's worded like this. It says that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God the Father made him Jesus, for Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Something happened to this man who had never sinned. He's suspended between heaven and earth. Get the picture. He's suspended between heaven and earth as if he's the mediator to connect heaven and earth. He's suspended. And the Bible tells us that literally the sin of the entire cosmos, your sin, my sin, the sins of the future, the sins that have happened in the past, the, all the sin of the world was placed right there upon him. And it was so dark that all of creation bowed to that darkness that the sun didn't even shine. The clouds rolled in and it was black as night in the middle of the day. And Jesus suspended between heaven and earth as our only mediator, trying to bring heaven and earth together now. Jesus there becomes sin for us. We may say it like this. He took 
my place where I should see. Remember that guy Barabbas that was in the story? Remember him? See, he, he was the guilty one, wasn't he? He was, he was the one who was arrested for the crime that he did commit. He was there. And as they cried for, which one do you want? You want Barabbas or you want Jesus? Jesus stepped in and took Barabbas' place. Guess who Barabbas is a picture of? Just a hint. <laughs> He's us, right? And just like Jesus stepped into that guilty man's place and paid that price for him, Jesus steps in on our behalf and at the cross, he becomes sin for us. So that we don't ever have to die that way. Now, a lot of people will. They'll die with sin on them. But we don't have to. And the third thing he did. On the third day, on the third day, Jesus broke the power of sin and death by resurrecting from the grave and coming back to life. I'm just telling you how, how the story just kind of fits together in, in, in an understanding of theology. The Gospels tell us what happened. Paul explains to us why it happened. That's kind of how it works a little bit. Jesus, at the resurrection, broke the power of sin, which the wages of sin is what? Is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, by resurrecting from the grave, broke the shackles once and for all, it says. He broke the shackles of sin that had kept us, and he also broke the power of death. And there will come a day where the entire creation will sing the song, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Jesus defeated sin and death through the cross and the resurrection. Now here's where it gets really, really good for us. Now, now all who believe in Jesus, go to the next slide there. We become partakers of his victory over sin and death. Now, every one of us who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, what he, the victory he experienced on those days, the victory he experienced is now given to us. He shares and makes us partakers of that victory. Do you hear that? And we are united with him. United again, grafted in. We, we, brought, we didn't do it, but we get to receive it. We didn't achieve it, but we get to receive it. We, we, didn't, we didn't do anything because it's just by his love, it's by his grace that we're saved. And he, by his gracious kindness, said, I want you to get in on what I just did. Now let's go back and read what we just read. Now, now maybe it'll make a little bit more sense, a little bit more clarity. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. You see, I, just as he, so are we. What he went through in his life, now I can partake and participate and enjoy it. For if we had been united together, if we have been, not will be, the moment you come into Christ... You're united with this idea of victory. You are united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see that? We are united to what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago. It's still effective today that we are united to his cross and we're also united to his resurrection. 
that exactly what happened to Jesus on that cross can happen to everybody that follows him. Including the resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Okay, now let's, let's go into that idea. So the results of all of this. What's the fruit of it all? Old me is crucified and dead. You know why a lot of people can't live right? Because they didn't die right. So the old me, this is the way it is when I come into Christ. Old, old Ron is gone. He's dead. And the power of sin, when I come into this union with Christ, the power, listen to the, the verb is real carefully. The power of sin is broken over me. It's no longer my master. I no longer have to do its bidding. I no, no longer have to follow that addictive spirit. I no longer have to go down that destructive path. I no longer have to listen to that temptation. I no longer bow my knee to that master because I have a new master now. I'm no longer joined to that. Now I'm joined to him. Old me is gone. And what I, see, what I hear in this, the power of sin is broken. That I'm now free to choose the right thing. Before this happened in my life, I, 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 I had a choice and I was responsible, but not really. I, it was so powerful over my life. I did what it wanted me to do, even though I didn't want to do what it wanted me to do. That's Romans 6, by the way. And 7. Anybody know that struggle? Now, through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has restored our dignity back. Our dignity of choice that was given to us in the garden. That, that's part of what it is to be in his likeness. We can choose to do the right thing. Now I can choose again to do the right thing. And he says this, do not now that you're in Christ, do not let sin reign over you. Now here, here's the trick. Sin is not dead, but I'm just supposed to be dead to it. Sin's alive and well on this planet, you well know. And it, it'll knock on your door and try to get your attention sometimes, won't it? What, no matter what that temptation might be, whatever kind of lust or drawing that that might be pulling you to. But now we have the power to say one magic word. No! How about that, Miss Pat? I said, thank you. Hallelujah. Miss Pat just jumped straight. She jumped six inches off that seat. <laughs> Whereas I struggled to say no before, now I can say no. And the scripture says, if I in Christ resist the devil, boom, he goes. Because there's a new power in my life now. And it's not me. It's the power of Christ in me. Are y'all you, are you tracking me? I'm talking a lot of heavy theology here, but this is really the foundation of what we believe, what it is to be a Christian. So not only is the power of sin broken over me in Christ, the power of death is broken over me. It doesn't, it doesn't control me anymore. I'm, I'm not afraid to die. And, and boy, we've heard a lot of death lately, haven't we? Lots of it. And some of you work in, in medical fields where, where you're very much acquainted with that. 
But now the fear of death is literally broken over my mind. I'm not afraid to die because I know resurrection is just behind that grave. I, I know. Old boy said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready and willing. I'm just not going to volunteer. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not afraid to. I'm not afraid. I don't want to leave my family. I don't, I don't want to go. But I'm not afraid. If it's my time, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid. And I, I don't know if you've ever been with a believer who dies. Now, not everybody dies like this. But I, I've been with some that die absolutely fearless. Because of something God did in their heart. He took away that fear. So the old me is gone. Now the new me is alive to God. There's a new me on the scene. And now that new me can live a new life. Are you tracking me? Now this is the cut and dry of how it's supposed to go. We all know it doesn't always go like this, does it? Sometimes we live in that old man. Sometimes we live in that new man. Sometimes we go back and forth. Sometimes we go back into sin. Y'all know how it is. But you don't have to. The good news says you don't have to live like that. You don't have to straddle the fence. You don't have to live hypocritically. You don't have to bounce back and forth. You don't have to be under the power of that anymore. I've had to discover that. I suspect you will too, or you already have. Now, I'm almost done, believe it or not. I don't want to tax your mind too much. I got a lot here, but we'll pick it up next week. Verse 11, now again, back to our, our, our verse. Likewise, I want you to memorize this now. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The way we're supposed to view ourselves as believers, as followers of Jesus, is that I am dead to sin. Whatever your hot button is, whatever that pool is, that I am to see myself as dead to that, and now I'm alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. Now don't reverse it because most people live in the reverse of it. They're, they're alive to sin still. They're very well aware of it. And they're sort of aware of God. Maybe, maybe not, maybe even feel cut off from it. Most people live in the reverse of this truth. I mean, even people that come to church. And, and who, who are Christians, who have made a profession of faith, most people don't live in this victory that he's talking about right here. But I, I want to. <laughs> to where I see myself, that thing, whatever that thing is, no longer, it's just a thing. It's over there. It's gone. And now I'm alive to God. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not living my life sin conscious. I'm living my life God conscious. I'm not waking up talking about what the devil's doing everywhere we go, everywhere we're doing. I wake up talking about alive to God. What is he doing? Where's his kingdom at work? What does he want me to do? What is his will for my day? What is his choice for my life? What is his purpose? What is his plan? What does he want me to do? Talk to me, Jesus, as we walk this path. Oh, how you walk with me. Oh, how you talk with me. Oh, how you tell me. I'm alive to you. <laughs> you know, I'm alive to you now. 
I'm hearing a voice I haven't heard. I'm seeing a path I never walked. I'm with people I, 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 I don't... They're strange to me because I have friends over here in the old, but this, this is all new to me. But I'm going to walk alive to this new path, alive to God. Let's close it with these three quick ones. There's three quick ideas. United with Christ. Is your brain just going... <laughs> you all right? First one. I'm united with what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Something supernatural happened on that day. And then when I come into Christ, I am united with what happened in those moments. You see that? We just read it all throughout Romans 5 and 6. The second thing is, is that I'm united with what Jesus accomplished at the resurrection. And boy, that's a lot. Paul's got all kinds of theology in 1 Corinthians 15, especially he talks about what Jesus did accomplish at the resurrection. He, he continues in chapter 6 and in chapter 7 and in chapter 8 to talk about that, that now there's no condemnation. You know, we, we can live united, never to, never, we don't even have to have any broken fellowship, really. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now, because of the resurrection, now we can live in this brand new life and enjoy the splendors of this kingdom. And the last, because I'm united with Christ, I'm united with what Jesus will accomplish in the future. He's still at work. The Bible looks at this idea as new creation. You know, we got the old creations in Genesis 1. We, we live with it. Out here, it's splendid. It's beautiful. But what God plans to do is to bring new creation. And John the Apostle would say things like this. He said, Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right? God's bringing new creation. And here, listen, listen, this is how you know it's going to happen. Because it's already happened in you. New creation has already started in you. That, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know that passage. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, they are a what? A new creation. Old things have passed away and now behold, all things have become new. Literally what happened is God's work of new creation is not waiting on something to happen in, in, in the far distant future in time. God's new creation starts in his people when he unites them with Christ and they become new people. Then those new people are being prepared for this new creation. And then there's going to be a whole new thing going on, a new Jerusalem, all that's going to happen. And we will live with Christ forever in his new kingdom. Amen. Amen.